want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. So we'll have, uh, we'll have the message, and at the end of the sermon, we're going to have the baptism, and then after the baptism, we're going to come to the table, to the Lord's table, and I wanted us to have the baptism before we came to the table, not that Linda hasn't been to the table before, but this might be the last time for a while that she gets to come to this table. She's moving to Buda, and she asked that we would uh, baptize her today, and I'm very honored to do that and very thankful for the work that God has done uh, in her life. And I'm very thankful for the work that God has done in all of our lives. And I pray that you are thankful for the work that God is doing. So let's open to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first six verses. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as we get ready to open your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds, that Lord, the good seed of your word would be planted in the good soil of our hearts. Father, make our hearts, prepare our hearts to receive the seed of your word that you would produce in us, Lord, a harvest of righteous fruit that would be to your glory. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now I wanted to look at this section of scripture today as we begin a new year. We begin a new year, but there is a lot of work that has taken place in this last year and in years previous. Some of you may know, some of you may not know, this year, 2017, Christ Fellowship Church will be 40 years old. Now, in relation to a lot of churches, that's not very old. How many of you think 40 is old? Some of you do. 
How many of you wish you could go back to 40? Yeah? 40 years this work has been in this community. Started from scratch from a gentleman who was traveling through the area to actually go minister in a small town northeast of here. And he just felt an urge and a burden for this community. And in July of 1977, purchased the property here and started in that little building next door. And for 40 years, the work of God has continued. But now, as we are tempted to do oftentimes, we kind of become centered on our own work and what we're doing. And, and if we're not careful, we might think that uh, or lose sight of the fact that God is working in a lot of other places through a lot of other people and a lot of other congregations. So wherever we are, whether we're Christ Fellowship or whatever church we may be talking about, we are just a part of the greater work and the greater plan and the greater purpose of God. And we're not responsible for what the other congregations or other churches are doing, but we should pray for them, we should encourage them, we should cheer for them, if they're doing the work of the gospel. But we are responsible for the work that God is doing here if you are a part of this congregation. And as we begin a new year, and as we begin the 40th year of this work that God began through a faithful man and has carried it on through other faithful men over the years, I want you to realize whether you are a member of Christ Fellowship Church or whether you are a member of another congregation, if you are a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God has called you to a work. And if you are a member of Christ Fellowship Church, I certainly want you to understand that God has called you to a work in this community. And so we go back to the Scripture. The Scripture is the final authority of everything. We were talking last night as we were seeing the old year leave and the new year come in. And if you think about 40 years, 40 years of tradition, and it's very easy for us to say as a church, just like today, we read the Apostles' Creed. We quoted it together. And some might say, well, why, why do you do that? That's not been our tradition. We, we didn't traditionally do that in our church. We might not have traditionally done it in Christ Fellowship Church. But we need to think about why we do everything that we do. We didn't traditionally read stories to children. But we began that last year, before last year, because for one thing, we want children to understand how important they are. Sometimes in the church world, we relegate children to just, you know, we want to just get them out of our hair and 
send them next door and don't want to be bothered with them because we're in big church. But yet, if we read the, our Bibles carefully, we're going to see that you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. That everything God did, God was very specific in how He told the children of Israel to teach their children. And He set in place things where they repetitively kept feast, and they repetitively did things so that generation after generation after generation they would not forget, but they would remember. Now, in spite of that, we're prone to forget. And this is why sometimes you read the Scripture and you say, why is there so much repetition in the Bible? Especially when you get to the Old Testament books, it's like, man, you know, they're just saying the same thing over and over again. Can we just skip over that? No, don't skip over that. God has put repetition in there for a reason. God puts repetition in our life for a reason. And we should be glad for it. Aren't you glad that the sun repeatedly comes up every day? <laughs> Aren't you glad it sets every day and rises every day? And so we wanted children, not, not by what we say to them, but by how we interact with them. We wanted children to begin to inherently realize that they're important. They're important to this congregation. They're important to the church. All of us got here somehow. I wasn't raised in church. I came to faith in Christ shortly after my graduation from college. I had no faith tradition. But I got here somehow. And you know how I got here? I got here by the grace of God. However you came to be where you are, whether you were taken to church on your mother's knee and raised in church, and you can't remember a time when you weren't ever in church and you didn't ever trust God, if that's your testimony, that, I think that's the greatest testimony you can have. I think as parents, we should purpose to raise our children in such a way that they never can remember not trusting in Jesus. That's... That's what the Bible reveals to us. Train up a child in the way that they should go. So, how do we do things to make everyone begin to be able to participate? Even little ones who can't read. Let's sing a song together. Let's say this together. Parents, teach your children When we get to Nehemiah chapter 4, what we understand from Israel's history is that Israel, because of their sinfulness, they were carried away into captivity. And for 70 years, they lived in captivity. And we won't do it today, but you should do it. You should read Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 is a letter written to the children of Israel who were in exile who kept thinking that any moment now we're going to come back to Jerusalem and God's going to overthrow our enemies and everything's going to be good. God sent a letter to them through the prophet Jeremiah and says, nope, that's not going to happen the way you think. You are going to finish out your captivity. But at the end of your captivity, I'm going to visit you. I'm going to bring you back. Why? Because 
I have a good plan and a good purpose for you. Don't lose hope. And so Nehemiah is with that group that has come back after the captivity to rebuild Jerusalem. And they are rebuilding the walls that were broken down by the Babylonian armies. Walls were important in those days. Cities had walls because they needed protection. The Bible prophesies of a day and a time when there will be no more walls around cities. Have you ever noticed what we don't have around our city? We don't have walls around our cities. How many of you don't lock your doors at night? Some of you do. Some of you may not. How many of you don't go to sleep at night worrying whether someone's going to come in your house and take you away? We live safe and secure, and there's a reason for that. Yes, it is God's grace, but it's also because the gospel is working. And so Nehemiah, they go back to Jerusalem, and they're building the wall again. They're doing the work of God. God sent them back to reestablish this city. Now, there's lots of symbolism here. We could go to the book of Revelation in chapter 21, and in Revelation, at the end of John's revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the end of the world. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see a picture. We see John, who sees a city coming down from heaven, and it's called the Holy Jerusalem. It's called the Bride of the Lamb. Now, Jesus isn't marrying a city. Jesus is marrying a people. The city represents the people. Here in Nehemiah chapter 4, the city represents the people. It wasn't that God cared about a piece of geography. It just was that that piece of geography is where the people of God were centered. And what God really cared about was the people of God. And that city represented those people. That city in Nehemiah chapter 4 not only represented those people and the promise of God to those people, but it also represented the people of God throughout the ages, world without end. Jerusalem has always represented the people of God. And when the people of God, when Israel came back into the land and they began to rebuild the walls, and rebuild Jerusalem. It's a picture. It's a type. It's a foreshadowing of what you and I, as the church, have been called to do. We have been called to build Jerusalem. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew's Gospel. He said, I will build my church. Now, in a sense, you and I aren't building anything because Jesus is building His church. But the Bible presents a wonderful picture for us. Paul presents this picture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's talking about the body of Christ. And he says, you are all members of the body. We can't all be the same, 
We can't all be ears. We can't all be lips. We can't all be hands. We can't all be feet. We're all different parts, but we're all different parts of the same body. And who is the head of that body? Well, Jesus is the head of that body. And if Jesus is the head and we are the members, if Jesus is building his church, just picture for a moment, if you've ever built anything, and you had to use a hammer to drive a nail, what part of you holds the hammer to drive the nail? Your hand holds the hammer. Your hand swings the hammer and drives the nail. What part of you is telling your hand to do that? Well, your head is. Jesus is our head, but we are the hands and we are the feet that are building the wall. We are the hands. We are the feet. We are the legs. We are the body that is carrying and doing the work that the head is directing us to do. But it is the head that is strengthening us. It is the head that is sustaining us. It is the head that is giving us life and enabling us to do the work that he has called us to do. So I want you to think about that as we look at this picture presented here of Nehemiah and the children of Israel rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And I want, to, I want you to look at this first verse. It says, But it happened, it so happened when Sanballat heard that, that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious. You do realize we have an enemy. The enemy, when the enemy hears of God's work, he is furious. The enemy doesn't like the work that God is doing. The enemy doesn't like the work of God that you are doing. And the enemy will resist that work. You can be sure that the enemy will hear of God's work. Our kingdom work is not hidden. It's not veiled. God didn't call us to go work in secret somewhere. God called us to work openly for all to see. God calls us to proclaim a gospel not secretly, but openly, loudly, from the housetops, from the mountaintops. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. That's how we're to do our work, openly, loudly. The enemy's going to hear, and he's not going to like what he hears. But we're called to hard and humble work for the glory of God. We're not working for our salvation we're working in our salvation. When we baptize, we're not baptizing because someone's trying to get saved. When we talk about the work of God, when we talk about doing the work of God, we're not talking about you trying to save yourself. The work that we're called to is a work in our salvation. And the reaction of the enemy to that work is always going to be anger and indignant mocking. This shouldn't surprise us, nor should it scare us. Why? Because God is Lord, and He is Lord of all. But just as the enemy hears 
of God's work, I want you to see that the people of God cried out. And they cried to God, and God heard the cry of His children. Now, the enemy's always going to try to question God's work, and the enemy always wants you to question. Questions aren't bad. Questions actually can be quite good. Questions can actually work to build your faith. But what the enemy wants to do is create questions that destroy your faith, and you need to know the difference. In our cry to God, God in His grace hears our cry. So I want you to see this, that God is graceful and He hears His children. You might not even be purposefully crying out to God. Because God is the one that's always proactive. Linda, you and I have talked about this. It was not an accident that I was in the police station that Tuesday morning when you were in the police station that Tuesday morning. I didn't go there looking to meet Linda. I was just there doing what I always do. And I just accidentally met Linda. No, it wasn't an accident. God is graceful and God hears the cry of His children. Even you might not think you're crying out to God. God heard Linda's cry. Long before that Tuesday, God hears your cry. This is the good news. This is the promise that God gives us. Because it is God who gives wings to our prayers. It is the grace of God that gives wings to our prayers and that God hears the cry of His children because God has given His love to His children. You may be despised by the world, but you are beloved by God. The enemies of Israel despised them. The enemies of Israel despise them to this day. But the enemies of Israel are not just geopolitical things that you read about and hear about in the news. Paul said, not all Israel is Israel, but those who are of faith, those who are of the promise. Paul writes in Galatians, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise Israel, not just the nation in the Middle East, but the people of God, those who are of faith, those who have promised, they will be resisted by the enemy. They will be despised. But the good news is God hears the cry of His children. And God's children are beloved by God. Joseph learned this truth when he told his brothers, you meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Paul writes of this in his letter to the Romans when he declares that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. This is a promise to you as a child of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The world's effort to reproach God's children will be turned back on them 
And the good news is, is that you are no longer a reproach because of what Jesus Christ has done. Your shame is taken away. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They will not be put to shame. God is graceful and He takes away the sin of His people. Nehemiah and the children of God in their prayer said, God, don't take away their iniquity. Don't cover their iniquity. Don't let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. But for us who are children of God, the good news is that God has taken away our sin. God has blotted out our sinfulness by the blood and by the work of Jesus Christ. He has taken away our sin completely. God's children, by God's grace, have been set free from sin. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, whatever hardship, whatever battle, whatever life throws your way, you can be sure of this, that God hears your cry and that God has given you victory over sin and over death. This is why, regardless of what is happening in your life, regardless of how dark or how difficult your life may seem right now, you are never, ever without hope in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has given you victory already. And our victory is not determined by how we feel. It's not determined by what our circumstances might be at this moment. Our victory is determined by what Jesus has already done. Victory is not what I'm going to get one day when I die and go to heaven. Victory is what I have right now in Jesus. Because Jesus has been given to me, I am in Him and He is in me. If you are a child of God, you are in Christ and Christ is in you now. It's not something that's going to happen one day. It's what is a reality now. This is the grace of God. The words of the Apostle John in his first letter convey this truth. He writes in verse 17, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love Him because He first loved us. We can rest in the assurance of our salvation we can rest in the assurance of our victory over sin and over death, not because we love God, but because God first loved us. I always tell people that scripture that is quoted so often, perfect love casts out all fear. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That's not, that's not in the scriptures for you to try harder to love God more perfectly. Because at the very best, our 
ability to love God is imperfect at its very best. You and I are not capable of loving perfectly. That scripture is not in there to try to motivate you to love more perfectly. That scripture is in there to give you assurance that you are, in spite of all your imperfections and my imperfections, that you are loved perfectly by God. And that in so much so that in the day of judgment, when you stand before the Lord in Christ Jesus, you can have boldness and confidence because as He is, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. Now, you can only receive that by faith because if you're looking in the mirror every day to see how well you measure up to Jesus, you're going to be really disappointed, I think. But if you will by faith receive what the Scripture, what the Gospel has declared to us, if you will by faith accept the work that Jesus has done for us, and you will believe that God has taken away your sin in Christ, not to give you a license to go out and live a sinful life, but to now give you the power to walk as He walks, to live and be holy as He is holy, because He has given to you that holiness by faith in Jesus Christ. We've been given the assurance of His perfect love. Now, how do we know that we are His children? Do you love God? And if the answer to that is yes, then you can know that God loves you. Because, as John writes, we love Him because He first loved us. You and I are not capable of loving God until God pours His love into our heart. This is what Romans chapter 5 declares. When Paul begins to list Persecution produces patience, and patience produces character, and character produces hope. In other words, there's a reason why we go through things in this life, because it's producing something in us. And hope doesn't disappoint, Paul writes, because God has poured out His love in our heart by His Spirit. Your ability to love God, your desire to love God came from God pouring His love into you. you ever, if you ever wonder if God loves you, just ask yourself, do you love God? And if you love God, you can rest assured that God loves you. And that even when your love for Him is imperfect, His love for you is always, always, always perfect. God is graceful, and God calls us to His work. We are called to the work of God. We read later on in this section of Nehemiah where they're working, and they have tools in one hand, and they have swords in the other. And they have people watching their back while they do the work, and they're prepared for the battle. God calls us to His work, and He calls us to His work, and He calls us to be prepared for the battle because we have an enemy that will resist the work that God has called us to. But we know that God is our victory, and that calling to His work comes through a new birth. Every child of God is called to the work of God, and this is the work, John six twenty nine. Jesus fed the multitudes, and they said, we want to do the works of God, Jesus. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. That is the first work 
that we should be concerned about. Not going out performing miracles, not going out multiplying loaves and fishes. The first work we should be concerned about is believing in him whom he sent. This is the work of God. And unless one is born again, we have no hope of even seeing the kingdom. These were the words of Jesus recorded for us in John 3.3. 3. Unless a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom. We were all born of Adam in this world, born of sinful flesh. You must be born again, a child of God, born of the Spirit. In Christ, our new birth gives us new life with a new nature, free from the bondage of sin. In Christ, we are now free to live in God and live for God and to do the work that He has prepared for us to walk in. Nehemiah here talks about how the people had a heart to work. They had a mind to work. They built the wall. They in, the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Why? For the people had a mind to work. What is your mind? You need to have a mind to work, but you need to understand what that work is. It's not a work for your salvation. Remember, it's a work in your salvation. We've all been given a commission by Jesus. Go and make disciples of the nations. That doesn't begin across the ocean. That begins right here in your heart. And from your heart, it moves out to those closest to you. We shouldn't be concerned about the utter ends of the earth until we are most concerned about our own Jerusalem. This is why Jesus said you must be born again. We are all born in sin. We need to be born again in righteousness. In Christ, our new birth gives us new life with a new nature, free from the bondage of sin. In Christ, we are now free to live in and for God. Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. However you want to slice it or dice it. Your salvation, your faith in God, the whole ball of wax is a gift from God. You wouldn't have it without God. God's not holding it up here waiting for you to climb the ladder and get high enough to grab it. God's not waiting for you to work a little bit harder so that He can finally allow you to get it. No, it's the gift. He gave it to you when you didn't deserve it. He gave it to you when you weren't looking for it. How many of you were looking for Jesus to be born? Oh wait, you weren't, were you? He, he wasn't waiting for you to give Him permission to be born. We just celebrated Christmas. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. Guess what? He didn't wait for you and I to give him permission to be born. He came and was born because he knew we needed a Savior. And he came in spite of us. He came in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it and we never will. It is the gift of God. It's not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, when Nehemiah and the children of Israel are rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, that was a work that God had long prepared for them. It was prepared before they even knew they were going to be in that situation. 
It was prepared before they even knew there was a Babylonian nation that would send an army to destroy their city. But God knew that He would send the people back to do this work. God knew that you would exist on planet Earth today because God created you to exist on planet Earth today. And God has given you a work to do. Works that He prepared beforehand in Christ that you and I would walk in them. And that comes through a new birth. This is the power of a new birth. Our new birth in Christ comes through our death with Him in the cross. This is presented to us in Galatians 2.20 when Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, and Christ died in vain. Jesus came and died so that you could die. Jesus was raised so that you could be raised. He lives so that you can live. You must be crucified with Christ so that you may be raised up in Christ so that it is no longer you who lives, but Christ living in you. And now the life you live in the flesh, you live in or by the faith of the Son of God. That's good news, church. This is what our baptism symbolizes, a new life raised up from death. Linda, this is what your baptism today symbolizes, a new life raised up from death. Not that you're going to be raised up from death when you go in that water. But it is speaking of the work that God has done in your heart and in your life already. Baptism symbolizes a death and resurrection, and so it speaks of a work only God can do. Raise the dead to new life. That is what God does for us when we are born again. He raises us who were dead to new life in Jesus Christ. This is how we build Jerusalem, one stone at a time. Peter says you are living stones being built up. This is how Jesus builds his church, one living stone at a time. The baptism we witness today speaks of that resurrection life and that resurrection power given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. My charge to you, church, is to know you have an enemy. He hears, he sees, he is angry, he will resist the work of God. But know this, there is a God in heaven who loved you before you loved him. There is a God in heaven who is graceful and hears the cries of his children. He has called you to a work. And He has prepared you and equipped you for that work whether you realize it or not. He has given you new life in Jesus Christ. He has put His Spirit within you. He has given you power and authority in His name. And we have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to hold back. But we have been given not only the authority but the power, the ability 
to go forth and to boldly do the work of God, to proclaim his gospel, to build up Jerusalem one stone at a time through the preaching of the gospel. That is the power of God, the salvation. I charge you in 2017 to be a church that's on fire for God, that is not fearful, but that is bold in her witness. That we would fulfill the commission God has given to us to go and to make disciples. That we would begin that work in our own hearts, in our own homes, and in this community. And we would trust God every step of the way, wherever He may take us. If you don't live in Taylor, go back to your community and do the work of God and do it to His glory.